Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Professor Eric Cam, Dr. Eric Cam, Ryerson University, macroeconomist. And uh, yeah, you have a, such a distinctive voice, uh, Dr. Cam, and, and you're such a huge favorite. So you're going to have to get your own show now. Well, I appreciate all the kind words. I've been told I have a voice for silent movies and a face for radio, so I'm right at home. <laughs> Let's get at a couple of things that I, that I... You introduced me to something I knew nothing about, and then I read about it, and and I wish I didn't know anything about it now. The, the modern monetary... Because we're going to talk about a number of issues that have to do with the economy, the well-being of this country, with the Conference Board of Canada, to say, whether on the cusp, we could be on the cusp of a boom and all the rest of it. But let's start with this, because I know this is fascinating to you, and this is what you, 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 you learn and you teach. What the heck is the modern monetary theory? Well, uh, they call it MMT for short. And what it is, is the new sort of darling monetary policy of the academic uh, left. So, um, it, you know, if you fall to the left of the political spectrum, then you really believe that the government is there as a everything of last resort. And so in terms of monetary policy, which is about the oldest topic going, um, if you believe in MMT, you argue that Canada, like a lot of other nations, is just not constrained by tax revenue for federal government spending since we have A, a central bank, and B, our own currency. So you put that together, and people who advocate this say governments don't need tax revenue. They can just print as much money as they want, and they're basically the monopoly issuers of our currency. So don't be nervous. Policy should not be shaped by fears of things like national debts and deficit. That's not a precursor to any type of collapse. So why do they do this? Well, there's an agenda. There's always an agenda because they're arguing in favor of things like universal health care and public programs that governments sometimes claim to not have enough money. So really, in short, Roy, debt is just money governments make they put into the economy and they don't tax back and essentially doing what I do, which is comparing a government's budget to that of an average household is a dreadful mistake on the part of the MMTers. So uh, print as much money as you want, distribute it as you will. Uh, don't worry about debt. Don't worry about deficit because well, who was it that said budgets balance themselves? I forget who said that. Uh, Anyway, so do they then not recognize that in some parts of the world there was a time and there still is a time where to go buy a loaf of bread, you need a wheelbarrow, literally, full of paper notes? Well, that's the problem right there. And I've never been able to find this wheelbarrow. If anybody has any information on that, Eric Cam at Ryerson.ca. But I think what it does, and if I could for a minute, I'd like to take you and the good listenership into my lecture hall, because when you teach first year economics, um, one of the most prevailing topics you get into in the first or second lecture is something called opportunity cost. And I think that's really what's missing here. Um, as my friends are wont to tell me, life is about choices. And of course, when we do one thing, what we forget sometimes is that we've implicitly chosen not to do another thing. Now, accountants don't worry about this. They only worry about explicit dollar costs. But I like to think that economists are sometimes a little bit more creative. So we argue something called opportunity cost, which is the true cost of any decision is the best foregone opportunity. In other words, there's potential benefits that an individual or an investor or a business or a government lose 
when they choose anything. And sometimes these choices, of course, are implicit. They're not measured in dollar terms. Um, and so sometimes because they're not measured in dollars, people have a hard time wrapping their heads around them because they can be things like, like time, things like that. And so we try to teach our students that opportunity cost can't be forgotten and that when you make a choice, you are in a sense choosing to ignore something. And I think that's where the modern monetary theory people um, trip over themselves, is all of their theory sounds good, except for one thing, which is what are you not doing? In other words, you're not doing anything of any real economic consequence. You're just creating a situation where the government fills in every gap, right? So what they do is they come in and they say, well, when can debt be good, right? When can debt be good? And they say, well, when, when it allows governments to raise money, without raising taxes. They get to, to play the ultimate consumer and facilitate the equity portion of the efficiency ledger. But to come out in favor of modern monetary theory, and there's some very intelligent people who've done so, in my opinion, ignore the question of, well, if you're going to do this, what are you not going to do? Exactly. Let me run something else past you. And your interpretation, please. The Conference Board of Canada issued a report, and we're going to be speaking to the chief economist of the Conference Board of Canada tomorrow. Challenges ahead, Canada's post-pandemic fiscal prospects. I just want to read a couple of the highlights and ask you to please explain. The economic crisis caused by the COVID-19 pandemic will have a lasting effect on Canada's economic performance, lowering profits and labor income, the main sources of revenue for the federal provincial and territorial governments. The federal and provincial territorial governments will see their total net debt rise to over 95% of GDP after the crisis has passed, levels last seen in the early 1990s when surging deficits led to nearly a decade of fiscal restraints. Policymakers must start planning for the longer term as provinces and territories will look for additional health transfers from the federal government to cope with their aging populations. And then finally, by 2030-31, the provinces and territories will see the net debt-to-GDP ratio top 53% in line with that of the federal government and pushing the aggregate net-to-GDP ratio to well over 100%. Why doesn't that sound particularly good to me? Well, it doesn't sound particularly good. It's also wrapped up in so much economic jargon that a lot of people are going to dive for the radio dial. Um, I like to bring things back to kind of a more... Um, uh, basic maybe is the wrong word, but I think that economics is not supposed to be an elite thing. I think it's supposed to be for the masses. So um, since you've brought it up, let's just let's just run down what MMT forgets, because that, that really is your question. Right? I just read you a list of, well, why can debt be good? Let's talk about why why debt can be bad. Uh, let's take a look at where we are right now in this country at nine hundred and seventy nine dollars every second being paid in interest payments on our debt. $36,000 is what's owed by every single living human being in this country. And the debt to GDP ratio, which is again, just the debt denominated by, uh, divided by the gross domestic product is already creeping up on 70%. So in other words, what you're asking is, why does this sound bad? Well, it sounds bad because it's saying that there, because of the lockdown, it's going to affect every area, every actor of the economy. Where are consumers going to go back to work? What jobs are going to be available? If they can't make the livings they made pre-pandemic, they sure can't spend the money that they did pre-pandemic. 
firms, if they're shutting down, are not going to invest the way they did pre-pandemic. So you have all of the actors of the economy who are having their arms tied behind their back, except for the government. But as we've talked about a little bit ad nauseum, if all you have is government spending, it's like having two starting goalies in hockey. You don't really have anything. So the answer is, is what, give me a positive about the economic shutdown. And there is, there is not one, right? So it's like asking, if you said to me, give me a short laundry list. Why, why is debt bad for an economy? And of course, it means you can't do other things if you're paying it back. And unlike the MMTs, you do have to pay it back. You can't just let debt creep up to be worth over 100% of the value of your GDP. Or much like people in the 80s, when interest rates went to 21%, walked away from their homes. Yeah. Uh, Interesting you talk about that in those terms because, and it relates to something you said, a friend of mine's brother used to play hockey was a goaltender for the Detroit Red Wings and the Vancouver Canucks. And one night in Vancouver, he had a particularly bad first period. He let in five goals on six shots. And when I asked him about it, he looked at me, got a silly smile on his face because he was a funny guy. He said, but I stopped the sixth one. And to me, that sounds like MMT explained. Well, yeah, exactly. Am I in the ballpark? Yeah, I mean, yes. At the end of the the day, the MMT people ignore um, things like debt-to-GDP ratios. They ignore things like growth. They ignore having to pay back the debt eventually through taxes, which negatively affects our gross domestic product. They um, forget about downward pressure on the Canadian dollar. They forget about stability. They completely ignore any economic growth. And then the one that really kills me, because they're not talking about it, is you'll never hear the MMT people talking about interest rates. You know, all of this, all of this supposed boom, which I hope we get back to today or another day, because I think this is fantasy as well, is all predicated on this ridiculously low interest rate environment and it lasting forever, and it is not. Yeah, the, uh, the the boom that we're on the cusp of, according to some folks who believe that uh, the pandemic has us poised exactly correctly in order to, re- to recover very quickly. What do you say? Um, I say baloney. Um, I really do. I find this fascinating, but I think I, I get it. Sometimes if you know how a magic trick is done, um, it makes it a little bit more understandable. I, I think a lot of this, Roy, is fantasy. I mean, when I was growing up, I wanted to be the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. But, you know, you just at some point realize it's not going to happen. How you, I'd like to know from anybody out there where this massive pot of money is that people have it. And if they have it, why on God's green earth are they hoarding it? Uh, because if it was out there and people had it, you wouldn't get these decreases in consumption and investment and GDP that we're having. So uh, what I think is going on in the face of what I think is going to be lower nominal wages, lower lower real wages, Um, again, decreases in consumption and investment. I think exports are going to be down for a long time because we're not nearly as open as we used to be pre-COVID. Why is is this myth evolving? Why are people pushing this? And it actually, I think their hearts are in the right place. And it's something that I do teach my students, which is the role of expectations in the economy. And I think a lot of places through no fault of their own, are trying to play the game of, 
when COVID is over, things are going to be wonderful again, and people are going to start spending at unprecedented levels and convincing people that what you should do when we come out of this, of course, is help spend us out of the recession. It's a great idea. You can spend yourself out of a recession predicated on the fact that you better have this massive pot of money that's been sitting and growing interest. Well, yeah. two things. Number one, I don't think there's a massive pot. And number two, it hasn't been growing interest. So don't get me wrong. I want the economy to thrive. I just don't understand these boom predictions. Well, there's a finite amount of money that people have. I know people, many Canadians, have been putting money aside since this uh, pandemic began. Lockdowns began. You couldn't go out and spend in retail the way you had. So there's this theory that folks are sitting on a lot of money, and uh, I agree with you. I don't think that's fact. Yeah, some people have some money, but it's going to run out. And if that's what we're banking the recovery on, then we're, we better get that wheelbarrow ready. Well, if you're banking on that, then you truly believe that the way the government's handling giving out vaccines is going super well. I, I just don't see it, Roy. I just I would like to be positive and I would like to tell people that there's a that there's gold on the other side of the rainbow. And you know what? All, all things pass. I mean, everything we will get past this. The economy will reopen and we will be OK in the long run. But let me tell you, John Mayer Kane said in the long run, we're all dead. And in this case, he may be actually right, because I think we're one or two generations, at least one generation from getting back to pre-COVID levels. And that's if we ever get back to pre-COVID levels. And as an economist, I have my doubts. Yeah. What, what, do, what do your students, if you're talking to young people who are looking down the road, you talk about generational issues, what are their aspirations? How do they feel about their future, given what's happened over the last 12 months? You know, I'm actually really glad you said that. And I think it's the reason that I love doing what I do. Students are the ultimate glass half full people. I mean, I've been honored to teach 40,000 students in my time at Ryerson University since 2001. And I talk to a lot of them. And you know what, Roy? They, Whitney Houston was right. They are the future. They are so positive. They believe that they are the generation that's going to build us out of this. Um, they like looking at the people of my generation and your generation, not that we're that far apart in age, and say, okay, you have all bungled it up and COVID has made it worse, but we really believe that we are the brains that are going to pull us out of this. Believe it or not, my students are positive about the future, and if nothing else, this COVID pandemic has convinced them that now is the time to get educated. Now is the time to invest in their human capital so they can turn this around in their own homes and then to a larger extent, the economy as a whole. Dr. Cam, when you look at the economy, when you look at the, the, the reality of the financial situation, and we have about a minute here, the financial reality that we're facing in Canada, trillion dollars of, 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 of national debt. We have provinces that are running really significant debts. We have Canadians owing $1.77 for every dollar they take in. I think that's the number now. What does that, where are we? Where's, this is our foundation today. How wobbly are things? It's incredibly wobbly there. I mean, it's really it's eroding the foundation at a rate that we've never seen. Um, it, it's bad. I mean, and everybody knows that it's very bad. Um, and the best that we can do, the very best that we can do is if you have some wealth, then it's true. The best thing that you can do is continue to spend. They don't have to spend like a crazy person, um, but you do have to spend if we're going to keep an economy going. And if you want to spend, then there has to be where to spend. And then this comes back around to our conversation about lockdowns and how we have to get these lockdown orders lifted as soon as possible. Yes, we have to listen to doctors. Yes, we have to listen to science. But 
I don't think the foundation is far away from completely crumbling. And the only way to salvage this at all is to open up business and let commerce happen. And if it doesn't happen, then this foundation that you're discussing is going to collapse. Give us your email address again quickly. Eric Cam at Ryerson.ca or at Dr. Eric Cam. If you'd like to, as my students say, hit me up on Twitter. I always like to hear from people. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 